This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, wanted us to watch Shrek Forever After, but instead, we decided to watch the 1994 classic, The Shawshank Redemption. Welcome to Cinematic Respect. I'm your first co-host, Jessica Clares. And I'm your second co-host, Charlie Wallace. Hey, Jessica, I happen to know you just came back from a trip to Italy. Yes, I did. So what'd you see? Uh, horribly ugly things. Terrible scenery. Not, no art <laughs> at all. And the food was just terrible. No alcohol. They're all teetotalers. No, it was amazing. Uh, I saw all kinds of good stuff. Well, I guess the, the most important question, though, is what did you watch on the flights to and from Europe? <laughs> what did I watch? Uh, I will be completely honest. I think the, probably the most entertaining thing was I've actually never seen Working Girl uh, with uh, Melanie Griffiths. And anyways, yeah, I watched that on the plane because I'd never seen it before. And you've never seen such like worse hair and makeup and Joan <laughs> Cusack's hair. I'm pretty sure it had to have like structure built in to get that height. It was, it was, it was impressive. It was unbelievably bad. <laughs> Would you call that the highlight of your trip? <laughs> no, I would not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I just think it's probably the most entertaining uh, of, of the movies I watched uh, to and from. So this week, our guest has chosen the movie The Shawshank Redemption, and that guest is my sister, Leslie Wallace. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. So you're on vacation, too. Yes, I am in Michigan. Exotic locale. It's just <laughs> just like Italy, right? Yeah, pretty similar. I've been, so yeah, I could compare the two. Yeah, I'd say they're pretty similar. <laughs> <laughs> Looking out the window, yeah, yeah, this looks about right. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> so just a brief synopsis if you can't remember what happens in the movie uh it's a story of andy dufresne who is a banker who is wrongfully convicted of murdering his wife and her lover gets sentenced to life in prison pals up with morgan freeman and their best buds and uh despite all of the oppression that goes on and the way that the warden attempts to crush his spirit he manages to survive and escape in the end. That's really it. That's really the movie. <laughs> what else do we need to discuss? <laughs> oh, my. Um, well, let's see. It spans decades. And I think that is definitely a, a key piece of the film. Yeah, that's how, true. Okay. How long it, it, it spans. <laughs> um, oppression. It, it's like a Ocean's Eleven sort of a, over the course of a day and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, the word oppression it, it envelops a lot of different things. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's not just like escaping. It's pretty. Uh, it's kind of pretty clever, pretty badass. Yeah, yeah. It's he plays the long game for sure. Definitely the long con. <laughs> so you had never seen Shawshank Redemption before, uh, which in my mind is kind of amazing. In the late '90s and early 2000s, it was on constant repeat on TNT. Had you never caught it like passing by on the television, or did you just not want to see see it, or what? Well, I do have a confession. I did see one scene from it, so I did oh. know a little bit. I had a little bit of a spoiler before I saw. Oh, the movie. disqualified! Um, <laughs> you have well, to pick another movie. You have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering I saw like two minutes, and I was like two hours and twenty minutes. I think I think I saw didn't see most of it, so I think it still counts. Uh, what two minutes was that? Um, the two minutes where he escaped from jail, which I realize is kind of the big. <laughs> 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 oh my yeah so i knew that happened 
whatever. People still wouldn't saw Apollo 13 and Titanic. They knew how those were going to end, too. <laughs> exactly. Beyond that, what did you think the movie was going to be like? All I knew was the two minutes I saw of him escaping prison. Um, I don't really know what I thought about it. I knew Morgan Freeman was in it, and I knew they were in jail. And that I don't know why that was what made me not want to watch it. I don't know why. It just seemed kind of boring. Um, but it actually <laughs> turned out not to be boring. So I was pleasantly surprised. I also had no idea that Shawshank was the name of the prison. I just I had no idea what it was. You that think was, it was like, the, the guy's first name? Thing I realized I was like, I guess maybe. And then I was like, oh, it's the name of the prison. Okay, I get where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that Stephen King uses that in some of his other work too it's like a place that other hmm. people refer to in other that's interesting novels of him so i i guess i hadn't realized i mean i knew it was based on a stephen stephen king novel but i didn't realize how short it was so like and when i was looking up stuff it kind of blew me away that's like less than 100 pages mm-hmm. so obviously oh what yeah it's only 96 pages i think it said and so it's obviously a lot of like screenplay development and choosing what like how to tell the story and knowing that kind of blew me away. I was like, wow, because the story feels longer. You know what I'm saying? Like it came from a book yeah. that was longer. Yeah. 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 I didn't know it was by Stephen King either until today. So it was a group of four novellas, like in a collection. And this was one of them. And another one was the story that Stand By Me was based yeah. on. I didn't know he did that one either. Yeah, he did. So that one and then The Green Mile, too, as well, yep, right? That's that was his. also yep, Stephen that's King. that's also yeah. Stephen King. Same director as this one as well. You mentioned Stand By Me, and that was directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, well, it was adapted from the novella and then also directed by Rob Reiner. And so he had wanted to also do this novella into a movie and he intended to cast tom cruise as andy and harrison ford as red and my head just exploded reading that i'm like oh oh god that's no just no that'd be horrible that'd be horrible i mean if nothing else i think one of the main reasons this movie is so good is like with the quiet and the whatever is um morgan freeman's voice like the voiceover oh yeah like him being essentially the narrator of this film and doing all the voiceover like yeah, you're not doing that with Harrison Ford. I'm just, yeah. You're just not. <laughs> you could turn this into an audiobook and it would be still <laughs> exactly. be pretty effective. And I thoroughly enjoy that Tom Cruise is not in this movie. Yeah, it's not. Oh, that yeah, great? that just would not have worked. So, Leslie, were there any parts of the movie that surprised you that you weren't expecting? Um, yeah, so I noticed that there were no real female actors in the movie, no real female leads, which I thought was very interesting. Um, <laughs> Also, I thought James Whitmore's eyebrows were crazy. And amazing. <laughs> like they had a life of their own. <laughs> Definitely. They looked like they were going to jump off his face. So that was a little startling. <laughs> <laughs> I loved them, though. It's like you just love crazy old man eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, he's so cute. So they're, they're more endearing on him. Yeah, exactly. Did uh, his character suicide in the middle of the film surprise you? Well, yeah, it did. Um, I had to look away because it just was so sad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wah, wah. But no, I mean, it didn't <laughs> surprise me based on how sad he was to leave the prison. So I guess it didn't really surprise me per se, but I actually expected him to commit another crime and just get sent back. Oh, yeah. The movie but, was definitely setting that up, too. For me, watching it the first time, I remember being pretty surprised by that. But that was, of course, years and years and years ago. Yeah, I think I think I remember being being surprised about that too so this time something that i hadn't realized the other times i'd watched it is that 
they shot this in a penitentiary, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of it. In Ohio, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just that initial shot, that helicopter shot going over the prison. I'm like, where did they shoot this? So they actually shot that at uh, the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, which I guess was a prison that had just got shut down just a few years before that. So, I mean, that was kind of something that surprised me that they actually took over this entire prison (laughs) in order to do a lot of these shots. Yeah. I don't remember. Just details that I didn't pay attention to last time. I mean, I guess you kind of from context know that it's a prison that's on the um, eastern seaboard. But being as far north as Maine, I just hadn't noticed that the first time around. I mean, it's not really important. Yeah. Now that I remember that it's Stephen King, I'm like, well, of course it's in Maine. But... (laughs) Yeah, there's nothing that indicated to me that. I guess mm-hmm. they mentioned Buxton at one point. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, it must be in North Carolina. <laughs> but of course <laughs> it is not. the same thing that I thought. I had no <laughs> idea. I was thinking that too. I'm like, where is this? I didn't think about it until he mentioned Buxton. And I'm like, is this in North Carolina? I have no idea. Yeah, I guess I never figured it out until you guys just told me. There's no scenes with snow either. Is there? No. Like considering how long he's here. I mean, maybe just the interesting things happen during... The summer and fall. Well, for cat for uh, filming purposes, yes. <laughs> we don't feel like just so happened with that. exactly one year later. Another exactly. interesting thing happened. Well, they buzz along at a good clip with time. That's true. Five years later, exactly. <laughs> I, I watching it this time, and again, uh, just want to double back and being really kind of amazed that uh, that you they didn't get to see it because even Wikipedia comments on how often it was shown on cable right (laughs) that it was like daily airings on tnt um is really what kind of drove um it wasn't because it wasn't as popular immediately and then it kind of grew afterwards and that yeah i didn't realize that either because i felt like it was on all the time like maybe that's just my mind Mm -hmm. maybe i'm just the one who always stops and watches different segments of this movie as it comes on. So, so I have to do a little aside. This is a shout out for my parents, <laughs> for my parents, Ed and Cindy, who may or may not be listening to this episode. So my parents, I talk to pretty pretty often during the week, and they always talk to me on speakerphone. Um, it's awful. But yes, yeah, so they always talk to me on speakerphone, and so you can hear them both. And decent percentage of the time they'll pause whatever conversation they're having with you to like bicker with each other (laughs) and i could probably tape these conversations and just air them on the internet and and people would love it it would be a (laughs) huge following but um one of the best things ever is that if i'm talking to my parents without fail my mother will eddie we're not watching the shawshank redemption again no no, you have to change the channel right now. <laughs> no, I've seen it too many times. I don't care if it's commercial break while you're watching hockey. I'm not watching. Nope, turn it now. Like that is a completely normal <laughs> interaction <laughs> to listen to from my parents. So yes, I have to, had to throw that in. <laughs> I guess Steven Spielberg too said the same thing. It's like he has to watch that movie <laughs> whenever it comes whenever on the TV on. too. It's so good. <laughs> it's a universal experience. <laughs> yes. But watching it in its entirety again is so nice, and um, yeah, I've never, I may have never done that. I really? may have never actually either rented it or had the video and sat down from the beginning till the very end of the movie. Really, I oh, may have just so been good. pieced together and felt like I've seen the entire thing just from watching bits and pieces. I'm glad you got a chance to. <laughs> I try not to watch anything on television that airs on cable television because one time I watched Clueless, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. I watched that on the plane. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So you'll understand. They edited out like all of these references and all the good 
jokes, I felt like. And so after that, I just decided I wasn't going to watch movies on television. So I guess that might explain why I haven't seen this yet. Um, and I just like watching movies from beginning to end. I don't like commercials. I get kind of bored and antsy. So that's probably why I haven't watched it. Oh, yeah. This thing stretched out probably to like three hours on TNT. It oh, was easily. <laughs> pretty ridiculous. Well, it's so watching it, you know, all the way in its entirety without interruption, the way the way that everyone intended. It was I really appreciated this time more how they set the tone for the film. I think that they did a really nice job in the first 20 minutes. You have a really good idea of what this prison life is like, what these characters are like, what to kind of anticipate. Um, And it's it's pretty bleak. (laughs) Yeah. So you start out with the prison bus coming in and all of the the inmates surrounding them as they're being marched in. And I noticed that Andy was basically the only person not wearing a hat. Oh, that I never happens that. through most of the movie. I don't think Andy ever wears a hat. Hmm. Whereas other people I think frequently are, even the prisoners. Like You're I right, they are. I wouldn't really expect that prisoners would receive hats, I guess. Maybe that would be, <laughs> but like everybody know. wore hats back then, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, I don't know. I noticed that, I mean, obviously he was taller than everybody else who got yeah, off the bus yeah. and definitely looked more um, clean and, you know, soft, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I can see why uh, Red bet on him that he would have uh, cracked first. <laughs> I thought, too, over the course of the movie that Andy had developed as a character, like gotten more stoic as he'd been in prison a long time, but that's the other thing is that he's that way from the beginning. very beginning of the movie. Well, and I liked that there's a point later on when he talks about that his wife always said he was a difficult man to know oh, because yeah. he was such a closed book was the phrase that she uses. And so you can see that because, I mean, some of the conversations and, and being aware, paying attention to the time passage between some of these like, quote unquote, revelations <laughs> to each other. I mean, if you think you have every day, all day with these people for years and years and years that, you know, five years in, you're going to know everything that there is to know about the other person. Mm-hmm. And it's just not the case. Because I remember after he was um, in solitary for a week, the first time, which was after he played that record. That's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Well, I played a mean harmonica as a younger man. Lost interest in it, though. Didn't make much sense in here. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget? Forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's a... There's something inside that they can't get to, that they, they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Hope. Hope. He said it was easy time, and they all balked at that. None of them knew that he felt that way. You know what I'm saying? Like having these things kind of come out years into knowing somebody when you literally have nothing else going on. <laughs> Was, he, he was a hard man to know. He was pretty closed off and stoic. So, Leslie, do you feel like you got a handle on who Andy was earlier in the movie? Like, one question specifically I wonder is, did you think he actually committed the crime or not? Um, I kind of had a feeling from the beginning that he didn't, mainly because they gave us snippets of what happened, like a clip of him in the car with the gun and 
with the liquor and him stumbling out of the car. But I don't know, from the minute that he was on the stand and they were asking him questions, I trusted him as a character. I mean, I don't really know Tim Robbins and anything else. So I I just trusted him right away. I don't know why when he said something to the judge like, you know, I'm telling you the truth or the lawyer. And I just, I believed him. So I knew from, I felt like I knew from the beginning that he wasn't guilty. Um, the other prisoners, on the other hand, I felt like the majority of them were guilty. Actually, probably all of them were. I don't know. There's just something about his eyes. He just looks kind and soft is like the perfect way to describe him. He looked like baby soft. I don't know. <laughs> I agree with you. He just, there was some yeah. quality about him. Yeah. So that was something I was really interested in here because I don't remember the first time I saw this movie, and I might have seen the end first, right? Or I might have seen the middle part where it's revealed to you that he actually hasn't done it. I don't know. To some extent, I kind of thought it might be more interesting as a story if we didn't know whether he did it or well, not. Well, I think they didn't, they weren't very clear. They definitely tipped it towards he might not have done it, but you don't know, no, for sure. I guess. Until later. Yeah, we have to take Tommy's word for it because he's this uh, yeah, but new when they guy do the, the when block. they do the flashback, like they do a little flashback and show him talking to his creepy roommate. Yeah. I feel like if they bother to do that, I feel like they're just showing you what really happened. Yeah. Yeah, there were a couple of scenes in the movie that were like that where and so this is me trying to fix a classic movie that doesn't need to be fixed. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But the first couple scenes almost I think don't need to be there. Okay. This is me trying to fix the movie by saying like, oh, we shouldn't have ever known whether Andy did it or not, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you don't need the scene initially where he's in the car or the scene with his wife and the golf pro. And you don't need the scene in, you don't even really need the scene in the courtroom. Like, couldn't you just start the movie when he drives up to the prison? Um, I guess you could. But what I liked about at least parts of those scenes, maybe not all of them, one, you can understand how he could have gotten wrongfully convicted. I mean, the fact that he did just find out his wife is cheating on him and like they're young, you know, she's young Mm -hmm. and beautiful and having this like ongoing love affair and how hurt he was by it. And I think showing the scene of him in the car, that scene, I think, is important because it shows really how shattered he was by it. And you see him with a gun, you see him with bullets, you see him with alcohol. And so you're like, well, you were, you were pretty close there, buddy. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Where it puts you in that spot to say, okay, you did own a 38, you did own, you know, oh, or you so were, you were in this believable. position. And to see how did he end up in being convicted for something he didn't do. And maybe that kind of goes back to what Leslie says, too, where he's kind of got this feeling to him where like, oh, he's definitely innocent. Like, just looking at him. So maybe they needed to put that in so you might believe that he was. I don't know. Maybe. Guilty. At least that some of that story was true. I definitely think that's why that was in there. Because, yeah, like, he just seems like a nice straight-laced guy. He looks very clean and well-kept. And I don't know. It just seemed to me like there was a purpose behind having that scene. Like, I didn't know for sure until the guy came and said that he had had his other roommate tell him the story. And that kind of exonerated him. I didn't really know for sure. I just had a feeling. And I think that not knowing for sure is what made it a little more interesting. Additionally, talking about scenes that shouldn't have been in the movie. (laughs) Shouldn't have been or could have been cut and it wouldn't have changed much. That. Sure. (laughs) So the very last scene is kind of a controversial scene where Red shows up on the beach Mm -hmm. and sees Annie. Because that's not where the story actually ends in the novel. And it's also a scene that the director didn't want to put in the movie. He was basically asked to do it by a producer. So where where did he want to end it? In on the bus going into Mexico. Oh, okay. 
like, oh, so you've got this theme of hope and like he's hoping that Andy's going to be there and seeing what the future holds. But you don't uh, know but for sure. But you don't sure. actually see it. And okay. then the producer was like, no, I want this in there. You know, I actually agree with that one. I don't know that it's necessary. I mean, granted, this producer was also somebody who helped get the movie made. Mm-hmm. Like, so it was actually a really good Vanity Fair article, which I read earlier today, that has a lot of good information about this movie. It's written really well. So I'll link to that on the uh, the show notes. Yeah, she was very instrumental in getting the movie well, made, but she, then insisted like, on this being Didn't she threaten to quit or something if it wasn't made? Oh, <laughs> that's possible. Something uh, that was on Wikipedia, oh, so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. take it with a yeah. giant boulder of salt. That's, that could very well be true as well. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, there were a couple of weird editing things I noticed, too. So, okay, correct me if I'm wrong. There's two scenes really close together with the cop cars going up over the hill at the end. Right? So the first one is when Andy escapes. Mm-hmm. So you hear the sirens and you see the cop cars going over the hill. Mm-hmm. And the other one is when they're going to arrest the warden. The warden. Mm-hmm. Is that the same shot? Or were they going different directions? I think it was the same shot. It might have I'll been have the same shot. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I was paying that close of attention right. on that. I'm sorry, Charlie. There was another like repeat shot of the warden looking through the hole mm-hmm. in the wall, which is an awesome shot. It's a great shot. Like So it's... Not bad to see that twice, but I it, to me this time it felt like, oh, well, here's Red explaining something that has to do with that period. So we're just going to throw in the same shot again. There's some weird editing decisions well, towards the end. So but... at the at the first time, though, I mean, he you, you see him looking in it, and that's when you have the holy crap kind of revelation. Right. But the next time is to see like a, you know, it's it's like watching a show, like a some cheesy cable show where they're like, let me tell you how they did that. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> you it's know what I'm saying? It's, it's, yeah. That's where you get the, the the dramatic recreation or whatever of the scene, which is really more like a flashback, but you get the whole thing. And there were a lot of a lot of these sort of parallel shots that they did in the movie as well. Like there's that scene, right? Him looking through the hole, but there's also the scenes which are interesting of the scene the shot coming from inside the safe as they open up the yeah. safe. And they do that oh, twice yeah. too. So there's all these different scenes. And then actually I thought too where Andy is crawling through the sewer pipe mm-hmm. it's this other like circular shape with somebody facing towards the camera well and then every time he's in solitary they do a lot with the little i mean it's not round anymore i suppose but you know like the rectangular yeah, block the of, of light, light coming yeah. in when they flip yeah, open yeah. the things they do that quite a bit so it's a scene where andy and red are talking and they're kind of sitting near the wall kind of mm-hmm. in a shadow mm-hmm. and this is i think maybe it's right when andy gets out of solitary yeah, when he's doing his time. get busy living or get busy yeah, dying. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that scene. Promise me, Red. If you ever get out, find that spot. At the base of that wall, you'll find a rock that has no earthly business in a main hayfield. Maybe some black volcanic glass. There's something buried under it I want you to have. What, Andy? What's buried under So Andy gets up, he walks a little distance away, and he's still talking with Red. And there's this shadow that cuts like diagonally through the frame. Mm-hmm. And Andy's standing over in the light, and Red's standing over in the shadow. Mm-hmm. And then as the scene goes on, we get this this other shot where he's just explaining, you got to go to this 
wall. You've got to go find this box. Mm-hmm. And then Red suddenly gets interested. And then if you see the shot where Andy walks away from that, like mm-hmm. Red has moved forward and is like kind of half in the light and half in the shadow. Like a at flicker that point. of hope. Yeah. It's like he's actually brought him forward. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was neat. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that I don't have a lot of chance to look at when I'm paying attention more to the beats of the story. You know? Well, I mean, if you look at the whole arc, one of the major themes, I think, is is hope. And so they introduce everything and it's very bleak. And you start off and Andy himself, there doesn't appear to be a ton of hope. Right. It's pretty awful. And so then you see him start to have more. And then you see him bring it up to Red and Red try to just completely shut it down. And then you have him get Red that harmonica and Red opens it and clearly thinks it's beautiful and, and appreciates the gift. He's not angered by the gift, but he doesn't play it. Like you see him turning it over in his hands in his room, but he doesn't play it. And I think those are supposed to be like little symbols or little hints or whatever. So I agree with you that what the scene you just described, I think, is supposed to be this like culmination, this turning point of he's now getting him interested in it. But it took 30 years or whatever. Did anyone else think he was going to be like a harmonica virtuoso by the end of the movie? It's like, <laughs> no, Andy really got to me. And then I started practicing every day. No, actually, when I saw the scene where he played one note on the harmonica. I was like, all right, so that was Morgan Freeman just pretending he knew how to play the harmonica for a second. But... <laughs> That's all I got out of him. <laughs> He's like, guys, yeah. no, really, I don't I don't know how to play this. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, like you said, you didn't really have an expectation. You know, it was like a prison film. Were you at all pleasantly surprised that it had like more depth, that it was, a, you know, kind of this bigger story? Yeah, and I... I thought that I liked the way that the puzzle pieces kind of fit together at the end. I kind of expected that from it. But at the same time, like there were a lot of plot points that would come into play later. Like, for example, um, him using the fake person's name Mm -hmm. to do all the illegal stuff with the warden and then him later using that. Like, I felt like that was going to come into play. So that was, I thought that was really interesting. I didn't imagine that it was going to have as much intricacy as it did. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, and one thing I did notice about the like aesthetic of the movie was the drabness of the color from the very beginning. Actually, I did notice that right away. Like everything was gray, blue-ish tones. So it just really set that tone for the despair of the location that it was set. I, I kept expecting like really super bright colors to kind of, break in to symbolize like oh there's still hope so they do it sometimes but it's not really super overt the rooftop scene where there's kind of the sunset going on it's like a slightly different color i think color is uh like that kind of a color or any kind of warmth is associated with freedom yeah that's a good so they when like you said when they're tarring that roof and he gets them the beers they're sitting it's peaceful it's nice outside the sun is setting they're having these beers and he says that they feel like free men and then he says that same thing again when um he plays the record and puts it through the pa system so they can all hear it and it's sunshiny when they're all standing out on the in the yard and so that's it's not that sunshiny usually in all the other scenes that they shoot but they have the sun kind of clearly on everybody Another way that my impression of the movie had changed this time is that, so in that rooftop scene, Red explains, you know, we thought Andy was doing this just to get in good with the guards and Mm -hmm. to get in good with us. And that's how I felt up until this time watching. And then I realized that everything that Andy is doing, he's doing for everyone else to kind of 
give them hope and bring them to the same place that he's at. Like he plays the music. Mm -hmm. He's giving something to everybody or like he gets them the beers and he doesn't want one himself. There were some quiet little nods there too. So in Red's monologue, when they are sitting on the roof, he said, like you're saying, he thought he was doing it to get and go to the guards or to make some friends. He goes, but I, I think he did it for himself to feel normal. Yeah. And so I think that's part of it. But I also agree with you that he is doing stuff for other people to to kind of bring them along with him to 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 encourage hope. It's the same reason he teaches people to read and helps them get their GEDs and it makes him feel normal and he's he needs to kind of drag people along that it's not as bleak as it as it seems. But um I did like the quiet little nod when he offers him a beer and he said, No, I've given up drinking because you think the last time that (laughs) he drank, you know. He was accused of That's his true. wife's yeah, murder. That was probably the last time he actually drank. There you go. Yeah. I agree with you, Leslie. I think the color palette was was really powerful yeah. in setting setting the tone. And then, of course, in the last scene, which they may or may want not have wanted to cut, um, <laughs> it was very bright and beautiful, but yeah. also a little unnecessary. I agree. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm actually a little bit back and forth about it. I kind of like it. I mean, this is one of those movies that it's so impactful just because it is such a feel-good movie when you get to the end of it Mm -hmm. like you can add that sort of uncertainty about what does or doesn't happen but then you're not like oh i have to watch it to the very last frame because i have to see yeah see this so i don't know if they were right or wrong to leave that in i don't know i mean it's it's nice it's a nice little the end you know it just is your last shot i appreciate that if they do it they did it kind of where they they like pan back and back and back and back and so it's like pulling away at a, you know, giving you oh, some yeah. distance, whatever. Mm-hmm. I do like that if you're going to throw it in there, that it was like that. But it also kind of made me wonder how he found him. I'm like, he's just on this random beach with <laughs> nothing nearby. I started at the top of the coast. I've been walking yep. for four days. He clearly used he clearly used find friends on his iPhone. <laughs> Duh. Um, which is depressing. Um, but we've kind of touched on a lot of the the things that I felt like this movie was about hope and then obviously friendship. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's so, like the main theme, right? Is he's finding him at the end of this. So because of this Vanity Fair article I read, there was something they brought up that one of the reasons that this movie is popular is because it's a movie that guys can watch that they can feel free to be emotional about. <laughs> what? Is this like a thing? Yeah. And the car had the same reaction. She's like, no, that's stupid. Like trying to bring that into it. But I don't know. And coming from somebody who gets emotional at literally everything to like an iPhone commercial. Um, I didn't find this movie all that emotional. Like, yeah, it was a fe- like there were feel good moments, but like I cry at everything and I didn't shed a tear for this entire movie. So I don't know. That's kind of an interesting take. Well, I mean, it's also got this really strong male friendship. I mean, that's the yeah. center of everything. Between... I mean, it'd be a buddy cup movie if they were cups, right. right? I mean, it's like. <laughs> Have you ever seen uh, Brian's song? I have. That's like another uh, yes. That's like movie bro- that guys can bros sit down and can cry like about, hug supposedly. each other, but do the hug each other where they hit each other on the back. So it's like yeah. I'm hugging you, but I'm also yeah. hitting you. So it makes One-handed. it okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Never done that in my life. Never. Thank God. <laughs> Good for I'm you, lying. Charlie. I'm lying <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I think another movie that might go along with that is uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yes. I'm oh kidding. yeah. I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm kidding. No, that's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> that was particularly a 
because I'm like, oh, I love that okay. you guys acted like that. Was, okay. You're like, yeah, but not really. It's like, yeah, <laughs> let's see where she's going with this. <laughs> I think that the, I mean, Morgan Freeman, right? Like if Morgan Freeman could narrate your life, you'd let him because mm-hmm. it's amazing. You just want to listen to him talk constantly. And I know that's particularly these days is frequently like joked about or you know i feel like that's a common thing that people will come up in monologues or whatever stand-up things but i think that's a lot of that's from this movie oh yeah you know i'm saying that kind of started the whole love affair with morgan freeman's voice it's not like he was unknown he was in lots of stuff but um him being kind of the narrator of this film it set this at a certain (laughs) precedent or whatever for, yeah, really for wanting that catapulted him yeah and i just can't place he is now. fathom the story and the detail and some of the little nuanced things that are really told through the narration i can't imagine hearing it in anybody else's voice nope. like of course it's morgan freeman's voice <laughs> not harrison ford <laughs> oh, gosh. and i like harris i mean i don't have anything against harrison ford he makes a great han solo but it's just no you cannot narrate this movie for me <laughs> well we just came off a movie where in certain versions, uh, Harrison Ford did some narration in Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, you told me that. <laughs> to, uh, unusual effect. So <laughs> so you didn't think this would be better narrated by Gilbert Godfrey? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that would have added an interesting tone, I think. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of nasal. <laughs> <laughs> Rating suddenly cut in half on TNT. <laughs> exactly. It's, this, this film has been edited. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 15 minutes long <laughs> close caption <laughs> exactly uh, in the narration it says that the um andy doesn't really talk to anybody for a month he's there for a whole month before he says anything to anybody and the first person he says something to is red and in the course of their first interaction they really do kind of get a good feel for one another you mentioned my name we'd never do business again not for shoelaces or a stick of gum now you got that I understand. Thank you, Mr. Uh... Red. Name's Red. Red. Why do they call you that? Maybe it's because I'm Irish. It's a great first warm-up interaction. So the story of that seems funny. Uh, in the novella, it Red's actually a white guy, <laughs> so oh, he really? says the same line. He says the exact same and line. He actually is Irish. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that they just left it in and had Morgan Freeman say it. That's awesome. Oh, that's so funny. I did not know that. And I think that a lot of the powerful storytelling comes from the way that Tim Robbins and Morgan Freeman play those characters and the narration. Um, there's a lot of detail in the narration that I don't know that I necessarily realized was all being spelled out for you or just straight up told to you. Normally, you'd be expected on your own to be observing things and finding these things about the characters, but they just kind of straight up tell you. So like, I liked that in the very beginning when Red's narrations, you know, talks about meeting Andy for the first time and talking to him after that. Um, and he said that, you know, I can see why he would maybe have trouble making friends. I could see why some of the boys took him for snobby. He had a quiet way about him. A walk and a talk that just wasn't normal around here. He strolled like a man in a park without a care or a worry in the world. Like he had on an invisible coat that would shield him from this place. Yeah, I think it would be fair to say I liked Andy from the start. The language, which I'm sure is from the novella, um, was extremely descriptive and gave you a lot of information about 
the characters and their background and, I don't know, without having to rely on the movie to spell it out for you? Yes, that is one thing I read is that a lot of the lines were lifted directly from the novel and not changed at all. So the writer, the writer and director of this movie was Frank Darabont, who more recently was a showrunner for The Walking Dead. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, for a couple seasons hmm. until he got... Uh, so this is kind of an aside, but he ended up getting fired from that. And that's there's still an ongoing lawsuit related oh, to that. Lord. But I guess... Of course there is. He's, it sounds like he's kind of a hard guy to work with. There hmm. were stories from the Shawshank Redemption as well. Morgan Freeman maybe not getting along with him that well because really? he was such a perfectionist that he would insist they do scenes over and over and not explain why, why they were doing it. And <laughs> that at certain times, Morgan Freeman was just like, nope, I'm not doing that scene again. Hmm. <laughs> I think we got the take. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it apparently didn't take him that long to write the screenplay and it's it's pretty tight. Yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a great screenplay. Yeah. Another thing that I guess we haven't talked about yet too is, um, you know, they, they set up, the prison, like you said, you know, the, the bus comes in, they're surrounded by prisoners, um, they're all being taunted, and, you know, he gets in there the very first night, you know, the the guy who cracks whatever, the um, guards beat him, it ends up to death. It didn't necessarily have to be, but um, because I think there's a comment that the doctor who's in the infirmary had already gone home for the night, so he just laid there until the next day. No one tended to him, so he dies. Um, so it sets the tone pretty fast. Yeah. The, like the next day, Andy goes to sit down, and uh, there's maggots in his food. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very shortly after that that he's introduced to the sisters, as they're yep. called, mm-hmm. where he's beaten and or raped on a pretty regular basis. And what's amazing is, like, this is just introducing you to, like, the tone of the prison. And Red's like, you know, that's pretty much what it was like for the first two years. And so then you're just skipping right along. So, like, in, in like, a 10-minute yeah. thing, you're like, okay, well, that certainly sets a rather bleak, a bleak tone there. <laughs> and that was interesting, too. The scene, so there's the scene where um, the head of the sisters goes back to cell after being in the hole for yeah. beating up Andy. Yeah. And the uh, Hadley is in there waiting for him and starts to beat the crap out of him and he's trying to crawl out of the cell. That's a scene I had remembered as being like a oh yeah, he finally gets what's coming to him scene. But this time watching it I was like, wow, it's kind of I'm it's gratuitous. Yeah, it's very gratuitous. It was not a feel good scene. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it, it I have a really hard time specifically with movie scenes with beatings. I don't know. I I, I tend, I have to like, like you were saying, Leslie, like you had to kind of like look away because like it was sad. Like I tend to like kind of cringe or or I have to kind of like filter sometimes through my fingers, you know, like a child. Um, Some of those scenes. (laughs) And and this one, um, like any of those ones like that, like when the, when the, um, for the guy who first breaks gets beaten in the beginning and then the scene too, it's just, it's, it's so full of hate. You know, there's like such a disdain that the guards have, specifically Hadley, for for the prisoners, and that you see that, and and you know, even some like taking some joy in it. And so with that one, I feel like I agree with you, Charlie. Like on the one hand, it's like he was a terrible character; he was a bad guy; he was doing horrible things. But having him get his own was not really satisfying. It was right. it was so much more than that. And seeing him being kind of wheeled out and knowing that it's like okay, he's paralyzed and probably just going to go die. Like, it's not going to be long. I remember always wanting to get past that part in the movie mm-hmm. when it came on. It's like, oh, the second half is so much better than the first half. Yeah. I'm actually glad they spent the time, though, really trying to give a feel for it. First of all, I don't I don't think it's unrealistic 
you know, prisons of this era. I don't I don't think anything that was portrayed in this didn't happen. And I think that it's trying to contrast it or trying to say it's that much more remarkable that he's able to hold on to hope. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's what I mean, that's what Red says is the easiest thing to do is just to let go of it immediately. Holding on to it's actually the worst thing. Yeah. <laughs> that he feels that you could do. Yeah. Well, yeah, driving pretty crazy. Brutal. Um and then obviously you'd really get into the corruption, the crazy corruption with the with the warden. I mean, oh, it's not yeah. like you ever like the guy. No. It's not like it starts off and you're thinking, "Oh, this guy's okay." I mean, <laughs> I think right away he introduces himself as a like harsh disciplinarian via Hadley. Nice and hypocritical with his um, <laughs> pushing of Christian values and, and the Bible. And so it was a nice little like wink gotcha that he kept his rock hammer in there <laughs> later at the end. That. Isn't that great? Yeah. And it was so fun to watch, too. It's like, you know, all the things that are happening. Like the warden almost takes the Bible away from Andy. Mm-hmm. And if you've seen the movie before, you know what's inside the Bible. Yep. And luckily he doesn't look in it. He just gives it straight back. And over the years, he never once looks in this Bible. No. I mean, he has the opportunity. He doesn't do it. Yeah. Nobody looks past the poster. Like, that kind of surprised me. It's like, if you're turning everything around, wouldn't... Wouldn't you toss that? Yeah. Yeah, and I agree Maybe they liked you. him so much that they stopped doing that to his stuff. But... One thing that I thought was interesting is that they don't really seem to age. Like, I didn't notice any significant, like, yeah. makeup or anything they, like yeah. that. that like, and... they all look the same from the very beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, which I thought was interesting. And I think... That probably works okay. Uh, so they Andy tried, does they get tried some to gray. gray them a little bit, but their hair. But sometimes old person makeup can be really bad. I agree. So I'm actually kind of glad that they didn't. I don't think it was really necessary. I mean, Andy starts to wear glasses. I was gonna say I they think. added some. They added some spectacles in that scene right before he escapes, where he's wearing the sweater and you know he's wearing glasses and he got a little bit of gray. So they just do that sort of stuff to stand in because yeah, it's kind of hard to age somebody. Without putting a lot of work into it. Well, and yeah, like you said, if it's not done well, it's just going to be distracting. But yeah, you're right. That is not dramatic. They don't go for 20 years, 20 years worth of aging. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I look look really different than I did 20 years ago. Yeah, that's true. So Leslie, did you enjoy the movie overall? Do you think it it was worth watching? Yeah, it was really, really good. I really liked it. I learned a new phrase as well from the movie. Um, pinch a loaf. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just charming, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Dad explained it to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that makes it better. Did, that did you ask him or did he you. just volunteer that information on his own accord? No, I asked. I said, what does pinch a loaf mean? And mom shrugged her shoulders and dad said, take a bleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, that he actually said the word. <laughs> he didn't bleep. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, uh, some other phrases that um, my coworker and I we will occasionally throw out lines because we just watched it together a year ago. And so, um, what do you say? F- you know, fuzzy britches or whatever when he's like talking to the poster. <laughs> and what about you, fuzzy britches? And then, um, yeah, up and vanish like a fart in the wind. Like it's just, it's like a terrible and yet amazing phrase. <laughs> so Leslie, thank you very much for being on the show and watching a movie that we thought you should watch. So now's your opportunity to tell the world something you think they should be watching. Yeah, thanks for having me. So recently I watched The Big Sick and I really, really liked that movie. And it was actually one of the first movies I've seen in a long time where I'm like immediately afterwards, I'm like, I could totally watch that again tomorrow. Like I just thought it was really funny and I don't know, it was really cute. And just 
It was just a really good movie. So that that would be my suggestion. I'm so glad you said that because I just watched that like three or four weeks ago and I loved it. So good. It was really good. Yeah. I don't know. His humor is just so funny to me. I saw him on SNL and then I decided that I wanted to watch the movie and I'm really glad I did. So I would suggest anyone else that's listening to watch that if you haven't yet. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I, uh, I definitely teared up a few times when I was watching that and I was watching it on a plane. Taylor oh. looked over oh. at me and was like, are you crying? I'm like, no, I'm just yawning. <laughs> <laughs> it's the cabin pressure. <laughs> it's it's not me. Yep. yep. No, it's it's a really good movie. Uh, so after watching this movie, cinematographer's name is Roger Deakins, and and I know that name because he was just a cinematographer on Blade Runner 2049, which oh. I watched a couple times in the last few weeks. It's awesome. Um, I hadn't seen it at the time we recorded the last episode, which was Blade Runner, and I would recommend that everyone go out and see it. Although, by the time this comes out, I don't think it did that well in theater, so Ooh. you may not be able to see it. But if you have a chance, if it's like the last day and you can go see that in the actual movie theater, please go you see it. You think it's worth it? It's beautiful. Like I think it's a beautiful movie. Hmm. And I'd want to watch it on the big screen. I'd want to listen to the sound in a theater. But if you have to wait till the home video, that's fine, too. You'll condone that. I'll condone You'll that. You'll give people permission. <laughs> I still liked, I'd still like the movie even in that format. <laughs> so, Charlie, do you have a... That's like, that is your movie recommendation? Yes, sorry. Oh, okay, yes. sorry. I was just like, is that just a side <laughs> And that is thing, my official is movie your... recommend- okay. recommendation for yeah. this week, the first week of November, yeah. 2017. Um, yeah, I was thinking about other movies that are um, kind of centered around prisons. Um, and I have to give a nod to Cool Hand Luke. Partially because it's like this classic, right? And partially because, at least to some extent, I don't fully get it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's it's amazing to me that you can have a movie that's this well respected and it is a good story. I mean, I'm not going to say it's not. It's 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 very it's a good story that has that little dialogue. Oh. And I think it's just maybe partly because I'm like an, a tending to be an optimistic person that it, it it kills me that it's just it's a defeated storyline like from the beginning you're not ever going to have something good or something different happen exactly how it starts is exactly how it's going to end kind of thing you yeah. know it's just no progress <laughs> no progress is made whatsoever and that is a I think a difficult thing for someone like me just to watch and feel good about afterwards I'm like I didn't learn anything nothing <laughs> changed oh it just kind of (laughs) hurts so after you watch cool hand luke make sure you come back and watch shawshank yeah maybe (laughs) so you can feel good about yourself but i mean it's 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 still i mean i get for the most part um, (laughs) why it's this very well respected film but yeah it's i mean it's interesting it centers on prison it's also very serious it um has a very different tone i think it's worth seeing well thank you so much for being on the show leslie yeah no problem thank you for having me so I think officially everyone on Earth has seen Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, you might have been the last one. <laughs> the last hold out. So, yeah. Well, that wraps it up. Thanks so much for joining us. We had a great time. Hope you really enjoyed it. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram to hear us discuss more movies and television shows that you really should have already been watching. Oh, so Leslie, I was actually wondering, did you, were there any cultural references that you suddenly understand now from watching this movie?
No, I don't think anyone I know references this okay. movie. <laughs> the reason I ask is because you watched Last Man on Earth, right? Yeah. Did they? Oh, the the name of the the name of the place they they go in Mexico. Yeah, exactly. Okay, yes, I did notice that, but then I'm like, wait. No, that's the whole reason they went there. <laughs> From earlier in the movie. Okay, I couldn't remember if that. Or not. I thought I recognized it from somewhere, yeah. but I just assumed that I had heard it earlier in the movie. And those two characters are, are quoting the movie all the time and sort of role-playing. <laughs> I did not even realize that. Yep. And he's doing the Morgan Freeman voice. Although I wonder if you would even know that was a Morgan Freeman voice if you didn't recognize that it was from this movie. That's awesome.